Bibles, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 1. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. Now, I hope you have read the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Perhaps even Joshua, and perhaps you've read the whole Bible several times, in which case you'll even be better suited to gather from this message today, for we will be covering a number of passages and verses, and I will try to give, if you haven't got the background on it, I will try to give you a background on it. If you already have the background on it, then this should resound in your hearts. The truths that God's going to reveal here, Deuteronomy chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 19, and when we be departed from Horeb, that's Moses speaking to the people of Israel in the last 30 days or so of his life. He wrote Deuteronomy, he taught Deuteronomy and gave it to them, and then he was caught up to Pisgah, and he died. It was a very short period of time from the time God gave him Deuteronomy to the time he died, having seen Pisgah, from Pisgah, the Canaan land. And he's reminding them of Horeb, that place where they who had left Egypt, who had found salvation from their wicked sin and the path of sin, who had gone through the Red Sea, a type of baptism, consecrated life unto the Lord God, who had walked with their God, in all of the troubles of the three months leading up to the place of God's instruction, teaching, promises. And if that is not a picture of the spiritual life, then I don't know what is. And sometimes it seems like I've had to go back and forth and around and about. But Horeb is a place. You know, when God came down and began to teach and preach to the, speak to the people, revealed unto them just a little of his holy presence on that mount, you know, even the rocks couldn't stop from catching a fire. My friend, I don't know exactly what kind of salvation you've got, but if, you, if your heart is not aflame for the Lord God, then you have drawn too far from Horeb, or you have not even walked on that holy ground because even the rocks smoke and come alive in his presence. Praise God. He is alive. And he is that mighty and that holy. Praise the Lord. But they left Horeb because God had called them on to something. You know, here's the pathetic aspect that we oftentimes have. The land of Canaan What do you think about? Milk and honey and sweet things. It was never supposed to be that. It was a place of accomplishing God's judgment on unrighteousness long overdue. It was a place of walking in faith and watching God conquer giants that were unconquerable. It was a place and a time of bringing about God's promises long awaited for. And more than that, It was a place of continuous, abiding purity of presence. Because less than that brought about the very swift results that was pronounced from Mount Gerizim. It was a place of sanctified, holy, living at the word and in the presence of the Lord God 
who wanted to show himself strong on their behalf every day. But you know what quickly happened. Our TV's a little old. I need a newer one. Car's rusting out. Let's go work a bit more and get another one. And we get all wrapped up in the cares of this world and we quickly descend into the third soil groups from the parable of Jesus. Choked with the cares of this world. We cannot grow. We are not fruitful. And it's a real hard thing to distinguish between the weeds and the plants that ought to be bearing fruit. Yes. My friend, Moses is reminding them and when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. That's a wonderful statement. And we came. It's as if all of the <laughs> tears and struggle and trouble we went, you went through to get there is just a memory because you've come. Kadesh Barnea. So let me give you a little bit of history. It's at the southern point. It was God's intended place for them to go into the promised land. And you'll read later that when they finally went in later, God couldn't bring them in there. They had to go a different way. There's a lot of significance in this, my friend, because the reality is we're going to find that in a in a wicked time or with a very carnal people in an ungodly nation or amongst distracted brethren when your hearts are heavy your spirit grieved there is yet hope but it's not in those things or in those ones you will find three those like Joshua, those like Caleb, or those of the next generation. So let's look at these people. We'll read this first, and then we'll look at those people. And I, say, and I said unto you, verse 20, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. Why? Because he believed the words, and he gave credence to what seemed to be good intention of the heart. But my friend, how often have we seen that? I will, but first. And Jesus says, Thou art not fit to be my disciple. If you lay your hand to the plow and look back, what need you of man's reconnaissance when God says go? What need we of a better plan or plan of attack when your Lord says, march on, son. Daughter, let us go forward. It's man's wisdom which is man's folly, which says these very believable words in God's good men giving credence and believability to the people who we ought not to trust so much because they had the same flesh. You know what happened. They sent 12 spies. Joshua was one representative. Caleb was another out of 12. 
You would find that in Numbers chapter 14. Think about that. A nation of warriors, a nation of men. Every, every tribe being represented by one out of the entire tribe. Gentlemen here, for the state of Ohio, who in our small room would be voted by all of the spiritually minded of Ohio as that brave, that valiant, that righteous, that holy and zealous person with wisdom of God, discernment of mind, ability among men, leadership of the right kind to send forth with 11 others of this entire nation. Do you understand the position of responsibility? Do you understand the weight of this thing? We pass over these verses. It was not small. Praise God. But we read further. Verse 23, And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came into the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Did you need to see that to know that? Did you need to be told that by 12 men tried and true? Was it not enough that God said it? Was it not enough for us that God pointed us forward? Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us. He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Who exactly did we think was going to inhabit the most delicious, delectable place around? The weakest of all the nations? Just exactly who did you expect to confront on the place and the ground of all of God's blessings? Who did you think was going to possess to lord it over the places of those historic moments and locations where God met with man, where God gave a promise, where God called us out. Who exactly did we think was going to take over and possess this land when God's people have been sidelined in Egypt for some period of time? It will not be left fallow, my friend. The devil will be sure to take it up. And he will not leave it weakly defended. And it's a strange thing when a Christian says, you know, I'd love to do that, but... <laughs> well, number one, you missed the first thing. Not supposed to be you doing it. It's supposed to be you obeying yes. and watching God do it. Yes. It's never supposed to be on you and I. But without our activity, without our decision, without our action forward, without our trust, without our faith, without steps that go along with faith... No, there will come another generation. The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the son of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. Moses was not expecting this result because he trusted and thought better of the people than they deserved. The Lord, your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. According to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, what was Moses' problem? 
Moses, you're blind. Been up there on the mountain with God so long you can't even see straight. Well, I think that's true. I think Moses was, was blind to what caught their eye. I don't think he could see straight as they thought. God bless every single one who is so blinded by the word in the presence of the Lord God, who is so enraptured by the presence and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who has called you to be as he and has made you every promise that could be written in these books. Praise the Lord. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in. You know, this is not just a statement. Ladies, they didn't need a nightlight for their kids in the wilderness wanderings because every single night, God's pillar of fire lightened the place, provided warmth and light. And you know how people were. For the first little time, is what a solace, what a consolation, what a comfort. And after a while, would you close that curtain? Can't get some sleep in here. Woe is I, and woe is you. Because that's kind of how we go. And in time, they didn't even recognize anymore the wonder of it. <laughs> the wonder of God's presence, God among men. Now the surrounding nations certainly wondered at it. What on earth is that terrible fire at night? What on earth is that great cloud? And you know what's strange? It stays in a place. And the moment it picks up, night or day, all of these people, according to their military regiment of order, gentlemen, did you know that there was an order to every camp, to every encampment? Every tribe had its place. Every tribe had its place in the encampment. Every tribe had its place around the temple tabernacle. You could not get out of place. You had to get your place together. Ladies, you had a place in that. You had to be ready to travel night or day, morning or night, evening or, or winter or summer. made no difference. The moment you heard the news, God is moving, you got it all together. There was no unpacked bags laying around and a bunch of misplaced things and kids running, where's my sock? Because you learn very quickly that I'm going to move when God moves and I'm going to stay while God stays. Yeah. And this was supposed to be the intention. And Moses is reminding of them who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in. Don't you remember? Just when you thought there was going to be no comfort. You ever been out camping? You thought you did a great job clearing the land? And you just happened to light upon the one pine cone on the whole site? No matter which way you toss and turn, it's underneath the stinking tent. The only way you're going to get that out is cut it out or move the whole tent and everybody else is sleeping because they got the good spot. God led them in the place and pitched up them in a place that was good for them. See, I remember the good for them. It was the snakes in the fiery wilderness. That was later. Who 
went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in and fire by night to show you by the way you should go in and cloud by day. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swears, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto their fathers, unto your fathers. Save means accept. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he shall trot it under. And to his children, because he hath fully followed, wholly followed the Lord. Also the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou, shalt, thou also shalt not go into the thither. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither and encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, and your children, which is this, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, but unto them will I give it, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And you remember the story? They said, oh, no, 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 where will we go now? And God said, it's too late. I'm done with you, and I will be an enemy against you until every man jack of you and every woman is dead. And I will take your children to do with them, but I will no longer do with you. I'll walk with you, and I'll be there, and I'll bring every one of you swiftly to a grave. I will do with your children what you would refuse to do. Mother and father, I just want to stop and kind of interject something for a moment. There's a lot of people that cower from their responsibility as a parent. You know what responsibility as a parent is? First and foremost, is to raise your children to fear God. And you cannot teach what you do not know. What is fear God? The fear of God restrains you from everything you shouldn't even touch. The fear of God constrains you, meaning guiding and directing you upon a course. The fear of God is the basis of your reasoning. The fear of God is the substance of your hope. The fear of God is that inward tremor of heart which says, Abba, Father, I love thee. Thou art to me more precious than anything. Because he is dearer than any. The fear of God enraptures everything of the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy mind, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy strength. The fear of God, my friend, cannot be taught, as it says, it must be caught. You cannot teach what you do not truly embrace, know, and act, and have. And you cannot fault your children when you yourself have led them a hypocritical and a pharisaical path, saying, do as I say, and do as the preacher says, but as for me. The responsibility of a father and of a mother begins with this. But those who would not walk this path very often excuse their disobedience their unwillingness upon the children you think it's too hard for your dear little ones this path of God do you think it's too demanding for those little darlings how many times has a preacher been told well I'll come to morning service but my kids need to be in bed by 8.30 that's pathetic you know, my children have been in church since the very first service on the way back from the hospital. 
We have always been before anybody else. We have almost always stayed later than anybody else. And Baptist churches who love each other, we fellowship a lot. And it's always amazed me how that clock is going to trump God when the parents really don't want to be there anyway. Perhaps we we really have no true sacrifice, desire to sacrifice or to serve the master. And that's really where it's at. It's because we have no fear of the master. We have no desires. You know, you can turn, turn with me really quickly to Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the three, we'll get to the hope. But like I said, we're not going to go with an effervescent hope where there is no substance to it. Repentance must come before this joy of a purged and a clean heart with a renewed spirit. Matthew chapter number 25, Jesus gives the parable of the three servants. They were all servants. Each given talents. They were all entrusted according to the several ability. They all had ability. But we find the third servant. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast the design. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give unto them which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and, everyone, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken even that which he hath. And there are, as I find in this passage, five things that this servant had not. Very interesting. This is a recent thing that God revealed to me. What was the first thing he had not? He had no true love for the master. Look what he called him. I knew thee that thou art a hard man. What kind of child says to his parent, I know that you're a hard person. You're a hard person. Wow. Says an awful lot, doesn't it? Yes. Reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. You're demanding. It's all on the back of others. You want to tell me that this is a proper and right relationship for a child of the parent? Let us go further. Is this a proper and right relationship for a servant to their Lord and Master? But all through this entire, entire account, he justifies himself and excuses himself and expects it to be accepted. He had no true love for the master. He had no desire for the master's gain. He had no true willingness to work or sacrifice for the master. He has no true fear of the master, though he, though he kind of acts as if he does. You know what? If he actually believed that the Lord, the master, was a hard man, he never would have dared to walk this path. If you really did believe that God was righteous, requiring of you to be righteous because he said, be holy as I'm holy, you would not dare to allow her to do the things, much less excuse them, and nor would I. And when we do, we prove to ourselves and to all around, God already knew it. We really don't fear God. He had no servant's heart. Though he was called a servant, he was trusted as a servant, he was given the blessing and intended reward of a servant. Back to Deuteronomy. The 
Bible says, actually, let's not go to Deuteronomy. Let's take a look at Joshua for a moment. Actually, there were some things common between Joshua and Caleb. Numbers 13. We'll just look at some scriptures here. Numbers 13, verse 6 and 8. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Verse 8. Of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun. Here's where we find Caleb and Joshua, those trusted, valiant, faithful, wise men to lead men who were chosen, the top representatives, bold and courageous, faithful and true of the entire nation. Take a look in the next chapter, Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Why? Because the people began to whine and complain and freak out. And these two faithful out of twelve, in a show of their great despair and agony of heart, tore their clothes and said, What are you doing? What are you saying? They, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, and give it us, a land which full of milk and honey. Only rebel ye not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before the children of Israel. And this is where God says, pronounces his judgment upon the people and his mercy upon Joshua and Caleb. In Numbers 32, Numbers 32 and verse number 12, you have God's testimony, God's commendation of these two men. You know, it's not a small thing. It's just one verse out of all the thousands you have in the book of Numbers. But I guarantee you, if your name was here, it would be probably one of the greatest verses in the Bible. But verse number 10, the Lord's anger was kindled at the same time, and he sware, this is God's word, and he sware, he made a vow saying, surely none of them that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upwards shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, save, except, oh, this is a good news, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. How would you like them apples? Praise the Lord. But it didn't just happen to them. They were men that God could say this about. Take a look at Joshua. You know, we found him first in Exodus 24. We're not going to go there. We find, you can turn to Exodus 33. We find Joshua first going up on the mountain with Moses in Exodus 24. But we're going to look at Exodus chapter 33. You know, it was very few people that ended up on that mountain. And nobody stayed up there with, with Moses. Joshua did. He waited for him. Exodus 33. What kind of a young man has that kind of character? To go up on a mountainside. That's a flame. Have you ever been in a forest fire? I grew up in western Canada. In the bush country. We have survived numbers of forest fires and everybody there had to lend a hand and try to fight it. Now that is a fearful thing when you're going to go out there in those burning woods 
with pine needles, this, maybe this deep sometimes, sometimes deeper, which are like gasoline. And you're going out there with your shovel and your rake, brother. You want to talk about feeling like a pipsqueak out of place? That's fear. Joshua went up on this mountain with God's presence. And he stayed in the silence waiting for Moses, the man of God, to return. Everybody else down in the camp, they've gone the whole cycle of excitement So let's build us an idol. Hey, preacher man, make us another God. Joshua stayed on the mountain. He was quite a young man. In Exodus chapter 33, we find something. Verse number 8. And it came to pass when Moses went out under the tabernacle that all the people rose up and and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses and all the people saw the cloudy pillar and stand in the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend and he turned again into the camp but his servant Joshua the son of Nan ran away is that what happened? no it says and, 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 but his servant Joshua the son of Nan a young man departed not out of the tabernacle so you find Joshua before this alone on the mountainside of God's presence with fire and smoke and these terrible thunderings and everybody else in the camp saying we're going to die nobody else was allowed to touch that mountain Joshua's up on the mountain right after that it comes down on the camp it's a noise of war no it's a noise of partying and they removed the tabernacle outside of the camp and Moses comes with Joshua in the tabernacle and God's presence comes. Moses starts going back before between the intermediary and guess who stayed in God's presence? What do you have in Joshua? You have a young man whose heart was holy for the Lord God. You don't find him an exceedingly brave man. There's a reason why in two different books we find multiple, multiple instances where God encouraged Joshua, where God told Moses to encourage Joshua, where Moses told the people to encourage Joshua, and where God in Jesus, as the captain of the Lord's coast, had to come and encourage Joshua. He wasn't exactly the bravest, most zealous man around, uh, bravest man around, but he was zealous and holy-hearted, and he loved the presence of God, and he knew what it was to dwell, to dwell there. My friend, Take a look at what God did with him in Numbers chapter 27. As we turn to Numbers 27, I'll remind you, there was a time in Numbers 11 where God, where Moses was complaining. So Numbers 27. This other moment, Moses was complaining, having a temper tantrum. said, what on earth are you putting all these people upon me? I can't, no, 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 I can't do it and all this stuff. And God says, wait a second. Call 70 of the elders of Israel who you know to be men of God, wise, and I will, put, I will take of the spirits that's on you and put on them. Indicating that God had given him 70 times more ability in God than he was prepared to act in. In that context, two of the 70 didn't show up. They stayed in the camp. When the Holy Spirit of God dwelt and filled these men, they all began to prophesy with the power of God, and two of them in the camp started prophesying too. And Joshua stood up and said, 
stop them. Moses, tell them to stop. What was he concerned about? He was the preacher's man. He was God's man first. And he was his in Moses' corner. You read that yourself if you like to. That would, you would find that in Numbers 11. And Moses says, hey, hey, hey. Envious thou for my sake. Don't fuss about it, Joshua. It's nothing on me. And this isn't about me. I appreciate your concern. I appreciate your loyalty. I would that all of God's people were filled with the Spirit of God and could prophesy. Moses, so Joshua, he was God's man. Joshua loved the Lord God. And he loved his preacher. The prophet of God, the man of God. No man's perfect. But you look past that and you look at the position. And you say, God bless that man. God lead me through your servants, Lord. Let me but be a servant of your servant, and now my life would be full. This was Joshua's testimony. Now that brings him to Numbers, chapter number 27 here, where we're, where we're at. Verse number 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Here you have Moses, the man, the leader, the preacher of God's people, saying, God, we need somebody to replace me. And God says, uh, the most continue, which may go out before them, the people, and which may go in before them, the people, which may lead them out, that's the people, which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which had no shepherd. The heart of a pastor is to ensure the church is not left without a pastor, but is carefully and lovingly and, 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 and um, in a right way, not according to the way the sheep want to go and the way that God wants them to go leads them and cares for them. And this was Moses' heart. And, and God responds. And the Lord said to Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. And set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his words shall they go out, and at his words shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set it before the Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and laid his hands upon him, and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And you would find in Deuteronomy 34, the last chapter, in verse 9, that it was recognized by God and all Israel that Joshua was filled with the Spirit of God because of the laying on of hands of Moses. My friend, this man who gained one of the two exceptions from all of the men of war, all of those who were old enough to make a decision and be accountable for the leadership and the protection of the nation, this man was one of the two exceptions of the adults. What kind of man was he? <laughs> he was a man who loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and he was... He rejoiced to walk in the presence of God's holiness and to abide in that presence. You'll find mistakes in his life, in his service, in his ministry, in his leadership. He wasn't exactly a very bold man. And he listened to the people, which led him into error. Even worse than Moses said, that's a great idea. Why? That's, that's commendable. Which was the excuse they all looked for. What about Caleb, the second man? Well, Numbers 
13, 27. Numbers 13, 27. You, you want hope in this time? You're not going to find it in all the religious... You're not going to find it in all the fancy flowery words. You're not going to find it in this and that and there. You're going to find it in the Lord God. And the Lord God, His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Seeking what? Charismatic individual. No, He's seeking them whose heart is perfect towards Him. Because He's willing to work with a rough branch whose heart is pure and holy towards the Lord God, who is trying to keep themselves untainted from all the flesh in this world because of a high respect and honor to the Lord God. God's not looking for the special of this world. He's looking for that which is simple and, and refused of this world. In Numbers 13, verse 27, Joshua and, all, and Caleb and all the other ten uh, of the, tr- uh, the twelve spies are re- giving a report and they told him saying we came into the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth from milk and honey and, and this is the fruit of it nevertheless but, 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 but wait 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 the people be strong that dwell in the land number one and the cities are walled well go figure and very great and moreover listen carefully we saw the children of Enoch there the whole world knew where they lived. Just exactly what was the expectation? Probably the same expectation of most Christians today. You're going to go and confess your sin, repent before the Lord God. You say, He's forgiven me. Fine, that's good. Great. Everything's happy, hunky dory now. Let's go on and enjoy the fruit and the milk and the honey and a good life and a good wife and kids that never need a spanking and myself. I'll just shine, shine, shine. Until you look in the mirror of God's word and he says, you know, hey, you, you, got, you got a smudge? Oh, where? No, it's the whole thing. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to see that. What are you going to tell me that? I thought you loved me. I do love you, son. Daughter, you're, you're very precious to me and that's why I'm telling you that. Oh, but I can't change that. Yeah, well, you know what? You were never able to battle these giants. And you never will be able to. Do you want God to battle the giants for you? That's really the question. Are you willing to follow the Lord? Well, the Amal- and the Malachites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and by the coast of Jordan, and we just, we just can't. And Caleb, he'd had it. He heard enough. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. You find a different sort of a man in Caleb than Joshua. Joshua, he was God's choice for spiritual leadership. Caleb, he also was God's choice in many ways. But he was a bold and zealous servant of the Lord who operated with great faith. You know something I learned from Brother Tyler this morning? And the, do, do, this I didn't know. Caleb's Mountain, that was, that was in the region or at the very site of Sarah's tomb. Well, that's thought-provoking. You know, if you read John chapter 4, 
Gospel of John chapter 4, and you read about Jesus who had to walk through Samaria, and you find out where he sat in Jacob's well, and you read your history, you read the Bible, and you find out what happened in that valley of, of Jacob's well. The history that's there is incredible. If anybody had a religious reason to have confidence in where they were at, there was Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, the constituted beginning of a, country, of a constituted country. You had Jacob's well, which goes all the way back through Abraham. You had these holy places all through Israel's history. And there Jacob's, Jesus sitting on it, and he comes along this Samaritan woman who's half and half, which is all of idolatry, claiming these spiritual relics and, and holy sites. And I found it interesting, based on Judges 1 and Genesis and I forget the other passage, that that was indeed the place of Abram's burial place. And there were three giants. And that was a mountain fortress, doubtless, of three famous giants. You find that in Judges, Judges chapter 1. And in Joshua chapter, I think it was 14. Think about that. This place of spiritual significance who now possessed it, ruled over it, guarded it, and scared everybody away? Three giants, not one. It was a mountain which was always, always a fearful place to attack. A mountain fortress was always one of the most fearful places to attack. I want you to grasp all of these things as we think, as we think about Caleb. Because in Joshua, chapter number 14, you have that famous passage. We need to read that. Joshua chapter number 14. In Joshua chapter number 14, beginning is verse number 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Wow. He was 85 years old in this time. <laughs> he knew. He knew every word. That promise was not old. That promise was not for a forgotten time. That promise was not in some dusty book somewhere, Joshua, you know, brother, what was promised to me. Listen to his words. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God, and God testified of that. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast fully, wholly followed the Lord my God. He had memorized every word. How many times in a year this had replayed through his mind. How many times he laid down and woke up from his sleep saying, Oh God, when? There are some like Joshua who dare to walk in the presence of the holy God knowing just what that means and what it must entail but have a respect unto the God of the heavens 
and therefore no respect to the things that others may respect. And there are some, like Caleb, who long in the night hours, I know that promise, I remember that promise, and says here, and now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, when, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and lo, and now lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, and as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. And this to me is remarkable, because I go to gym, go to the gym every opportunity I can, and I try to make more opportunity than I really am able to. And I find that my declining years, yes, gentlemen, I'm already declining. <laughs> I can't build muscle like I used to, and I pack on the weight like I didn't used to. And I try hard, and I'm earnest and zealous, and, and sometimes I get embarrassed and and groaning and grunting. And with the gym we go to, you're not allowed to clang weights. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to really push it out there and get her done, you know. But, so you, you, you split a gut and burst a, burst a vessel trying to get something done. And you got these young guys over there, and they're just repping her out, you know. And Caleb, 85 years old. Joshua, come here and take a look at these pipes. Joshua. God has done something, brother. This is my day. You give me that mountain, the mountain fortress of those three giants. I want it, man. It was my promise. And I, I'm not just able to go out. I'm coming back. This is going to be God's battle. It's going to be done. And you read about that. And if it doesn't get you stoked... <laughs> your furnace is your furnace is in serious need of repairs. Oh my goodness. And you read about Caleb. And you say there's a man. There's one who wasn't just faithful and righteous. He had such zeal and desire. And it wasn't done when it was done for everybody else. He was biding his time. He was over. I got a picture of a brother, Brother Schaefer. Some of you may know him. His wife sent a picture out there of this brother doing a horizontal, what do they call it? When you just grab a hold of a bar and you put yourself horizontal out there in the air? Some of you know that. Unfortunately, I will probably never attain that level of core strength. But this brother, 70, mid-70s, a good preacher. He's, he's, his wife's got a picture. You see his face is a little red. He's grabbed the hold of this horizontal bar and he is rigid as a bar. Out those tiptoes. Do you know that's not something you just dream about? He does this once a year. Just to, just to for his own measure. I never knew this before. For his own measure to his wife that he's still vigorous. And every day, brother, he lives for that. Because you have to. You can't do that accidentally. And here we have Caleb. You know what? When other people were going for the third round of, I'm sorry, third round of pumpkin pie, <laughs> that hits a little close to home. This brother was chewing on his celery sticks. He had a desire. 
and it wasn't for things of this world. He'd kept the blade clean and keen because there was three giants out there with his name on them. Because there was a mountain fortress that was his. And you read about his younger brother, Othniel, who became the first judge in the book of Judges. I want to tell you something, brethren. I'm excited, even in a dark time, because I know there is hope. Yes. It's not in this junk of the world, and it's not in the path of the world. And you, if, you're, if you're thinking you can do that, you just get that thought out of your mind. There's only one way with God. It's all the way. Full in, full on, for Him, because He is worthy. And you just get to go along for the ride and watch Him do what is impossible. Yes. We haven't even looked at the children of the next generation. There's a lot of sad things you can look at. But let me just say this. They couldn't go in the Kadesh Barnea way. They had to circumnavigate some of the roughest terrain. Brother Tyler, if, you've, if you're using accordance at all, take a look at the topography there. We are talking, um, for us, okay, so we're talking Badlands, all right? If anybody had been to the Badlands, the area around the edge of the sea they have to travel at the edge of Esau's domain, Edom's domain, it really, in topography, resembled the Badlands. I don't know if any of you have ever read or seen anything about the Great Divide and the crossing of the pilgrims going west. Some of these incredible, incredible valleys and, and heights and cliffs they had to get up and down. This was Israel's job. Trying to get into the promised land because their mom and dad wouldn't do it. Because it was too hard. Because of precious darlings. It was too easy just to go the way they wanted to go and excuse other people and blame other people. Their kids had to go that way. Their kids had to be much discouraged because of the way their kids had to meet the fiery serpents. Their kids had to choose to look at the brass serpent. Their kids had to cross Brook Ornon after being refused by Edom, being refused by Moabites, being refused by those who should have loved them. Their kids finally crossed Brook Arnon in one of two amazing events that the Bible records written in Israel's history. One was the crossing the Red Sea. The other one was the well that God caused to spring out of the very grounds when the judges of Israel with their staves. You don't dig a well with a stave. It's a stick for crying out loud. They're over there. They dug the God caused this huge well to burst out of the ground where he said it was going to be when he told the judges of Israel to go over there and sing a song. Yes. And it was written down in Israel's history. It says this is two events that were known in Israel which caused them to have great faith in the Lord their God. The children went through all these ways, perilous, terrible ways, and the devil beset them with the most seductive and sensual <laughs> Messengers he had, Moabitish women. You want to know about Russian women, generally as a whole as a nation, manner and custom and, and behaviors? Learn about the Russian women, you'll understand what happened with the Moabitish and the Midianitish women. I loved the Russian people. And God loved the Moabitish people. And the priest of Midian was Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. But they learned ways and manners that seduced and over 24,000 men of Israel died. That was on that other way. You know something, friend? You can excuse a lot of things. There's no hope in that. You can trust the Lord God and walk forward on His command. 
do what he said to do, as he said to do it. There's hope in that. You say, I don't think so. Well, God may just have to let you slumber in the wilderness or work in Egypt and raise up another generation who will obey. The sad thing is they won't have what you had. They won't have that opportunity. Theirs may be beset by thorns, briars, and snakes. Theirs may be beset by temptations that they would not have had otherwise to deal with. And not all of them are going to make it through. Thank God. God's not done. So I don't know if your heart groans. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all creation groans and trails together. And sometimes I, I look around and say, God, I'm not quite certain. I don't quite see that. Um, but God said it. So, so let's hope that it's in our hearts. Does your heart groan? You know, here, here's, a, here's a sad thing about our own testimony. When it's, you can preach a message, even so come Lord Jesus, you can get a lot of hallelujah and, and a hooray and, and praise God and let's run, let's run into heaven right now. But you preach a message about revival, which is personal contrition, sorrow and repentance of heart before a holy God who is worthy. And you hardly get a holy grunt out of folks. You could get people to do a lot of things. But to ask for people to give their life lock, stock, and barrel. Everything it has, everything it can be, everything it will be, everything it ought to be, to the Lord. And say, you know what? I know God's word. If it's there, I'll do it. I know my preacher was sent from God. If he says it, I'll do it. I'm not going to stand, stand around asking questions and back talking. I'm just going to do it because I know God is going to bless that path. And in time, I'll see it. I know my children need to serve God, but they need to have a leader to follow. And I don't want my kids to have to become the next generation mourning and, and, and sorrowful for the lost parents. I want to lead my kids the right way and pray that God does more with them. You see, every generation, every individual has that choice. And the hope is in the Joshua, the Caleb, or the people of the next generation who have learned what needed to be learned, chosen what needed to be chosen. Praise the Lord.